Uh, we're still in the series Life Together, looking at what Jesus said in the Gospels and what the apostles wrote in the New Testament about this life together that God calls us and the mission that we're on and how we're to act with one another, but also how we're to engage the world. And so this morning we're talking about being faithful witnesses. And so uh, that, that word was just really awesome. I would invite you now, we're going to look at a couple of scripture passages, open your Bibles, your phone app if you want to, to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's also speaking to us today, his disciples. So again, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then I'm going to read from Acts chapter 1 in verse 8. This is Jesus again speaking. He's just been raised from the dead. He's now getting ready to ascend into heaven. He gives these final instructions to his disciples, to the church, to us. This is what he said. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the words that come from Christ, the call that you've placed in our lives to follow you, but then also to be at work in fulfilling the mission that you give to the church. God, that we're to be faithful witnesses to the story, to the message, the good news of Christ, Christ coming, Christ dying, Christ being raised from the dead, Christ forgiving our sins, Christ opening our lives to be forgiven and be made holy in and through him. And Lord, we pray that as we look at your word this morning, God, that you would just be at work through your presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. Go beyond whatever I can accomplish in my own weakness, and Lord, just be greater than me. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the tomb of the unknown soldier is at Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C., and it has a guard 24 hours a day. Every hour on the hour, 365 days a year, a new guard comes to take over for the old guard. And so when the new guard arrives, he receives his, his orders from the one who is getting ready to leave, and the words are always the same. Orders remain unchanged. The same could be said of what Jesus gave us, the orders he gave to us, his disciples. Just before he ascended to heaven, he told his followers again from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in a definitive statement, moments before his ascension, our Lord Jesus indicated to his disciples what our responsibility would be to him during that period from after he ascended and before he returned back to earth. And those instructions are to be his faithful witnesses. Witnesses. It's a word which um, defines for Christ's disciples our role and our responsibility. We must not lose sight of the fact that the Holy Spirit came to equip the disciples. He came to equip us to carry out the work of witness in our world, in our community. Now, last week we looked at Jesus' command to his disciples that we should love one another. As he has loved us, so we should love one another. And he tells us that that's how the world is going to know that we are Christians, by our love 
for one another. And that witness of our love for one another is a powerful witness to the rest of the world of the reality of Christ's presence and his transformative power in our own lives. And the followers of Christ, we make up the remaining body of Christ here on earth. And our chief responsibility that our Lord gave us was to be witnesses of the good news that the Messiah has come. He's died for our sins. He's been raised from the dead. And he um, invites us to have a new life through him and to be reconciled to our holy, heavenly Father. And as the community of Christ, we're called and sent by Christ to be his witnesses and to make disciples. And so how are you doing? How are you doing in fulfilling that call that God has given to us who follow him? Our church's mission is to be a high-impact, transformative community by going deeper in Christ and further in mission. In fact, one of our four priorities that we define to help us understand how do we live that out is to evangelize. And we simply define evangelism as inviting someone else to begin a relationship with Jesus. You know, over the years, evangelism has gotten a really bad rap. It's, it feels like sales. It sometimes feels like manipulation. We've seen too many bad TV preachers who try to evangelize. We get the sense of people pushing people to convert and going door to door. And it elicits feelings similar to telemarketing. It sometimes doesn't feel great. Becky Pippert in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, says this. She says, it's something you wouldn't want to do to your dog, let alone a person that you like. And so how do we get to this place? How do we get to this place where evangelism has such a bad name? And where this word that is used to indicate good news is really has such bad press. How can we be faithful witnesses to the good news of Christ without all the baggage of what we think that's negative with evangelism? The church, this church, has a passion to see people give their life to Christ. We know what a difference Christ can make in our lives and in the world. So we're passionate about helping others find Christ. So what can we take away from God's Word that's going to help us understand how we can be faithful and effective witnesses to the good news of Christ? Well, I would suggest that it begins and it even ends with this conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. It really starts, it all depends on our conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. This is one of actually our six affirmations in our denomination, that we are consciously dependent on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, again, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is what he says. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They didn't become witnesses before the Holy Spirit came to them. They became witnesses after. You know, when I read scriptures and I observe evangelism happening in the scriptures, the most dominant thing that I notice is the role of the Holy Spirit. The most explicitly evangelistic book in the Bible is the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And I would suggest we actually ought to call it the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit because literally it is really the Holy Spirit who is the hero of Acts and he's the primary witness to Jesus. The Holy Spirit heals. The Holy Spirit inspires people with the right words. The Holy Spirit gives boldness. The Holy Spirit opens doors. The Holy Spirit acts through the apostles whenever he can and in spite of the apostles whenever he must. Peter, we're told in Acts chapter 2, preaches this amazing message where we hear that thousands of people come to faith in Christ through his message. But no one would have been listening if the Holy Spirit hadn't caused this ruckus where people were hearing in their own language word being spoken by uneducated people. And then we know in Acts that the Holy Spirit led Philip to leave Samaria and go to the desert and to speak with the 
the uh, Ethiopian, and then the Holy Spirit leads them back to Samaria. So, so story after story in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit leading and guiding the apostles to act and to witness in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, whenever I feel the burden and the responsibility of being a faithful witness, I confess that often I get anxious. I get nervous. Uh, I know many of you probably feel that way at times too. And I have to, I feel like I have to initiate a spiritual conversation and I have to get this right and I have to use the right words and I have to get the story of God right and I've got to use the right scriptures. And I think one of our biggest obstacles to being faithful witnesses is thinking it's too dependent on me doing everything right. But when we're rightly depending on the Holy Spirit, we follow the leadership and the promptings of the Holy Spirit to engage in what He's already doing in a person's life, then we remember that the role of the Holy Spirit and then going along for the ride with the Holy Spirit, it transforms our role as a witness for Christ. God goes before us. God is there with us. God is there after we leave, right? God redeems. God intervenes. Whenever you speak with someone about Christ, uh, you do not stand alone. God is with you. God's in front and behind. God goes before and after. We can rest and be secure in God's presence with us to convict and to heal and to to save. Witness is not about us. Witness is about God and God's presence in the journey of others. If the Holy Spirit is the first and the primary witness, seeing what the Holy Spirit is doing and collaborating with the Holy Spirit uh, is really crucial if we're going to be faithful witnesses. When we're seeking to be a witness, there may be no other single thing that we can do or no other greater impact than we can have than learning to listen to God. So how do we listen to the Holy Spirit? How do we know when the Holy Spirit is nudging us or leading us? The heart of the practice of learning to recognize that what God is speaking or God is doing is actually knowing that God is present with you and to ask those very good questions of a very good God. So here are some of the questions we can ask God. So, you know, Jesus, where are you already at work? Who are you preparing uh, to be receptive? Where, Where should I go and meet with those people? Is there somebody you want me to talk to, to care for, to pray with? Is there somebody who's been hurting that I could minister or serve? The Holy Spirit, again, is the first and the primary witness. We're just junior partners who collaborate. As we listen to God, we ask questions, we watch for clues at God at work in our world, and we pray seeking initiative from the Holy Spirit, our witness can be transformed if we're paying attention and if we're dependent on the Holy Spirit. Another reason I think we lack enthusiasm for witnessing, uh, for evangelism, is that we tend to have a very individualistic concept of our responsibility. Most of us assume if we're going to get serious about our faith and about sharing our faith, then we're going to need to build relationships. We're going to have to talk to strangers. We're going to have to invite people into our homes and and have meals and social events. We're going to have to study the Bible with unchurched people. We're going to need to explain the gospel. We're going to have to call them to Christ and then follow up with them in discipleship. We think we have to do it all. But the biblical viewpoint is fundamentally different. The writers of the Scriptures thought more in corporate terms of witness. Each of us, filled with the Holy Spirit, does our part like Jesus and ministers in Jesus' name. Together we contribute with the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives each of us. And our primary responsibility is to take our place in the body of Christ and contribute to the witness according to the gifts that the Spirit has given to each one of us. And so if we want to be a faithful witness, 
We need to understand that the Holy Spirit works in witness through the diversity of spiritual gifts that he's given to each of us in the body of Christ. Paul talks a lot about this in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Two of our best outreach ministries are Alpha and VBS, and both of those are very reflective of what Paul is talking about here. It takes a lot of people with a lot of different gifts to be able to pull those things off. And many people have come to faith through those ministries in our church. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had over 100 kids make a commitment to follow Christ in VBS. We had over 300 kids that were here for the whole week. And it takes a lot of volunteers to make VBS a special place where the Holy Spirit can lead in kids' hearts for them to respond. We had over 150 volunteers, and not all of them are teachers or leaders. You know, it takes servants to pull off VBS. We had people who were helping with music. We had people helping with games and snacks. We had um, small group guides. People were doing things behind the scenes. We had hospitality people. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Most of those volunteers don't have the gift of evangelism, and yet 100, over 100 kids gave their life to Christ in faith through VBS. It's one of the reasons why we have so many white roses on our communion table is to celebrate so many kids giving their life to Christ. It's almost exactly what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, each using their gift according to the grace given. And the Holy Spirit did an awesome work. I think Paul's words in Romans uh, imply two questions that each of us must answer. First is, what is your spiritual gift? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you know how to engage using it? And then secondly, what is your measure of faith? Use your spiritual gift to the measure of your faith. And your most important contribution to witness, in fact, lies in your area of gifting and passion. Not everyone is called to teach and lead or lead. Praise God, right? We need servants. We need encouragers. We need prayer warriors. We need hospitality people. We need organizers. Do you get the idea? What is your spiritual gift? How can you use your spiritual gift best to contribute to the witness of our church? Most people today are going to come to faith in the context of community. And belonging comes before believing for most people today. Evangelism today is about helping people belong so they can have a place to learn and understand to believe. Studies are showing that more people are actually engaging in in smaller group activities that a church might have before they come to worship. So, for example, someone might come to our our VBS, or they might come to Alpha, or they might join a life group, or they might be a part of a women's or a men's Bible study, or a sports outreach event, or other kinds of things, before they ever come to worship. Jesus had it right when he said, they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. The corporate witness of the church is a powerful testimony. In a world of people isolated, lonely, longing for meaningful relationships, the church is the community that understands what that is all about and lives that out if we follow and we do what Jesus invites us to do. So again, if we're going to be a faithful witness, it means we need to depend on the leadership and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We also need to recognize the power of the witnessing community of the body of Christ, that we're in this together 
And when we're together, the power of that witness is stronger than when we're doing it all by ourselves. I think also if we're going to be uh, an effective witness, it means developing genuine friendships. You know, today many people in our culture have a breach of trust with Christians, with the church, with God. Many people would describe themselves as post-Christian. They think they know what Jesus and the church and Christians are all about, and they've decided they don't want them. So how do we rebuild the bridge of trust? How do we develop friendships in which genuine and transformational conversations can take place? Here's the key. I think uh, we need to be more committed to the process of spiritual friendship and we focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing and up to instead of some mental script or about how the relationship and the conversation should unfold. You know, one of, the, one of the problems with being a faithful witness is that sometimes we surround ourselves with only Christian friends. Jesus was very intentional about building relationships with spiritual outcasts. He even built relationships with tax collectors and prostitutes and people that from, from a different culture than Jewish people. So how can we start building intentional, genuine friendships with seekers and even skeptics of faith? I think genuine friendship begins with common interests. What do you love to do? Do you like to watch football? Do you like to play video games, read books, play basketball, go to movies, garden? I mean, the list goes on and on of things that you like to do. Too too often, I think, Christians don't spend enough time doing things they love to do. And too often we ignore the greatest opportunity for building relationships with people far away from God. You know, when we lived in Kansas City, I had a Christian friend who lived across the street, and he had the idea of getting all the guys in our neighborhood, in our subdivision, who like to play golf, let's get them together and play golf. And so we got this group together and ended up being about 20 guys, and we would play once a month, and we would play every minor holiday. And we, we didn't play golf just to just to talk to these guys about God. I mean, a lot of these guys were far away from God. I mean, we didn't witness with them every time we played golf. We loved those guys. We wanted to just get to know them, become friends with our neighbors. We played golf because we liked to play golf. And, you know, the real thing is, is that being a Christ follower was central to me and to my friend. And so our faith came out naturally, just in relationship with these guys. And so my friend was a good golfer, and he was a warm person, so people who played with us just naturally were influenced toward Christ. So I just want to ask two questions. What do I love to do? What do you love to do? And how could I do what I love with people who don't know Jesus yet? Those seem to be key ways for us to engage spiritual friendships with people who don't know or don't yet follow Christ. They're simple questions, but they could change your life and and give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to use you influencing the lives of others. Jesus was a master at beginning spiritual friendships. He initiated friendships wherever he went. What did Jesus love to do? Well, we can look at scriptures. We know that he loved to teach, and he was a very effective teacher. We see it all through the Gospels. Do you know what else I think that he enjoyed doing? I think he enjoyed eating, because like every time he's with somebody in a spiritual conversation, they're eating a meal, or they're getting ready to eat a meal, or they just got done eating a meal. You know, I'm not quite sure I agree with all these pictures of Jesus being this really thin guy. I'm kind of thinking maybe he was a little pudgy because he liked to eat a lot. So just look. I mean, you know, Matthew was so impressed with Jesus that he invited Jesus over to his house and he invited all his friends to come and meet Jesus and hang out with Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. It says later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. 
along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. You know, Jesus liked, I think, friendship and eating so much that, you know, do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? He liked to eat so much that he invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Do you remember that? Right? So Luke chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So if we're depending on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and we understand that the whole body of Christ shares responsibility to witness, I don't think we need to feel like the responsibility is all on me. It's not all on me to bring somebody who is a a doubter, a spiritual skeptic, all the way from that place to faith in Christ in just one conversation or one encounter. I think the more important thing would be just simply asking, what does my friend need from me at this moment in order to take one step closer to drawing to Jesus? How can I help that friend? What is it that they need uh, to come closer to Christ through our interaction? So what do we share with somebody when they finally give us the opportunity to speak about Jesus with them? You know, sometimes we get anxious in those moments, right? And we think we've got to share all the reasons why Jesus is the answer to all the world's problems. And we've got to be able to address even our friends' issues. And we've got to be able to remember, you know, all the needs that need to be covered in what order. And let me just suggest that we simply have to share our story of transformation. We have an opportunity to speak about Christ. The most natural thing is just simply to share our story about how Christ has made a difference in our life. It could be your story when you were uh, experienced conversion to faith in Christ. It could be times in your life where you've struggled or you've faced obstacles, and Jesus has walked through that journey with you in ways that he helped you through that and even grew your faith through that experience. Those stories of transformation are so powerful. Stories not, not only convey facts, but they also convey feelings and nuances of truth. Stories are a bigger and a better container for the whole of truth than just propositions, concepts, and dogmas. Propositions are wonderful when they're filled in with story, but abstract and they're kind of skeletal when divorced from story. And so to to be a faithful witness, we need to recognize the power of story. And where do I turn for evidence of the power of story? Jesus taught truth by teaching his disciples and telling stories. And his stories still reverberate with our souls centuries later, don't they? I mean, the prodigal son, right? The sower and the seed. The, the, all the parables about the kingdom of God. Jesus knew how to lodge truth, not just in our mind, but in our hearts and in our imaginations as well. Only stories can speak to all those levels within us. The stories of transformation are so powerful. Do you, do you remember the story of the blind man from John chapter 9? Jesus was, the leaders uh, were trying to trap Jesus with a really tough question, so they asked Jesus, they said, who sinned that caused this man to be born blind? Was it this man's sin or was it his parents' sin? And Jesus wasn't so interested in, in who caused the problem. He was inter- interested in transformation and healing of this man, and so he healed him on the spot. And that caused the leaders even more problems because they realized that Jesus, through his healing, demonstrated some type of authority and identity, and they they were nervous. So they started grilling the blind man, the former blind man, with all these questions trying to get him to say that Jesus didn't really heal him or to deny that Jesus was this powerful man. And they badgered him with questions, hoping that he would deny Jesus' miraculous healing. So I want you to look at John chapter 9, verse 15. It says, therefore, the Pharisees who asked him also asked him how he had received his sight. 
He put mud in my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I can see. And they kept asking him questions. They kept saying, you know, trying to get him to deny that Jesus was really this, this great man. And so finally the guy's exasperated and he responds in verse 25. He says, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I can see. The man keeps telling his transformation story. I was blind, but now I can see. He doesn't have any particular theological explanation for how and why Jesus did it. He just had an experience with Jesus, and he knows that Jesus healed him. He knows what Jesus did and how he responded and what happened to him as a result. So what's your story of Jesus' transforming power in your own life? Your story could could be your conversion of faith in Christ. It could also be other times in your life when you struggled in ways that, that Christ brought you through and helped you grow in your faith. The power of story. It's so awesome when we hear somebody else's story about how Christ has impacted their life and brought transformation. 